Welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the Suicide Prevention Show. We are here waking up the world to the power of positivity. And sometimes that includes profitability. And along the way, our mission is to make suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. We are in support of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. And our guest is Renee Gabriel. Now we're gonna go where most people don't go. We're gonna talk about the money myths that keep you broke. Yeah, while everyone else is talking about how do you make this money? How do you do that? How do you... Let's talk about the reasons why those things don't work. And if you've ever tried one of those profitability things, let's go and make some money. And one of the money-making tools and techniques that the gurus are touting that they make seven figures overnight with, and they're not working for you, I got a guy who's gonna help us find out why. So without further ado, I get to stop sharing my screen and invite into the studio, none other than Renee Gabriel. And so Renee needs to be made a co-host in order to uh, uh, turn on his camera, Katie. Good, cool. So Renee, Unmute, turn on your camera, join me. Well, I'm unmuted uh, and, and Jackie, it's so funny, but it's not Renee, which is French. Ah. It's, it's Rennie, Rennie, like Kenny with an ah, Rennie, thank you. And, and thank you very much for correcting that. Are you able to turn your video on? There, there you we are. go, we got Rennie. it ah. rocking and rolling. Yep, okay, so we will, um, Rennie, like Kenny, will end up in the show notes so that everybody knows that you don't have to be perfect to be the show host. You just have to be willing. I understand that personally. <laughs> oh, I am so excited to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. So where would you like to start? Well, you know, we're going to start way back at the beginning because um, you and I share two things in common, three things in common. One we're pretty much mission driven. Yes. The second is that we both host shows. Yes. <laughs> the third is that we both stood on TEDx stages. Yes, we did. So share with everybody what your TEDx talk was about and that story, because I think that it'll give them a great place to understand where you're coming from when you speak with authority on what doesn't work with money. Um, yes, that it, it'll be my pleasure. Uh, the TEDx talk was called Wealth with Purpose. And the point of it is, um, I'll use a quote from Warren Buffett that's one of my favorites. He says, of the uh, billionaires I've met, money just brings out the basic traits in them. If they were jerks before they had money, they were simply jerks with a billion dollars. <laughs> and, and I love it because the opposite is also true, which is what most people can't connect to. And it's the idea that I, I hear it often that, oh, money is evil. My dad told me only thieves make a lot of money or money will corrupt you and all the rest of that stuff. And the reality is if someone is already corrupt, yes, they'll show up corrupt with more money. But if someone is good, if someone has a mission, if someone has a purpose and they create money, 
they will be fulfilling that purpose. They will still be a good person and they will still be wanting to make an impact. And they will be doing it because now they have the money to do it. Got it. So money doesn't change who you are. No, it just brings out the basic traits that were already there and magnifies them. There we go. If money magnifies who we already are, it might behoove some of us, <clears throat> including myself, to figure out who I am before I magnify that. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you're I, making the money, you'll see. <laughs> but uh, Jackie, I already know who you are. <laughs> and the m money that flows into your life will be used to help end teen suicide. I already know that. And the, what do I want to say? the conversation on the TEDx stage about wealth with purpose, what I was able to speak to or speak about was my favorite charity that gets 100% of the profits from mm -hmm. the work I do. I walked my talk. I, I started off at age 50 broke after a couple divorces and a business failure. But within eight years, I was a multimillionaire. I don't have to work for a living. So the only thing that's driving me now is the purpose to donate 100% of the profits from supporting other people to handle money powerfully and donate it to shelter to soldier that prevents the suicide of veterans. And this charity saves two lives at a time because dogs that would have been euthanized or die on the streets are trained as service animals for soldiers that have come back with PTSD or traumatic brain injuries or other issues that would have otherwise committed suicide. Not one veteran who's gotten their service dog through shelter to soldiers committed suicide. So the dog that would have been euthanized, that, that the purpose is fulfilled and keeps a veteran alive that would have otherwise committed suicide. And while it's true that not all veterans who have traumatic brain injuries or suffer from PTSD take their own lives, the reality is that many of them do. The rate is almost one an hour, it's 22 per day. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's scary. When yes. the, the background for me is one of the first work that I did in the nonprofit arena was working with veterans on the prevention side. And I discovered that we've actually lost more of our military to suicide than we have to war throughout history. And so it's a um, un, uh, unspoken about casualties of being in military service is that the risk is really high that you won't have the mental and emotional resiliency to handle it. So a service animal can serve a great function in helping to provide that mental and emotional stability. And I think it's a great service that you're involved in. Yeah, it, uh, the dogs are transformative for the veteran. Um, one of the first veterans that got a dog from shelter to soldier, uh, his name is Vic. He did underwater demolition work mm. and suffered traumatic brain injury. Uh, when he got home, he stuttered so badly he couldn't even communicate with his wife or children. Um, he stayed homebound because he was afraid to go out in public because he couldn't even communicate. And when he got his service dog, 
that's when his life began to transform. He was able to go to the grocery store with his wife. He was able to go to like the soccer games for his little girls. He was able to be in public. And if you started to melt down, because let's say he was in a crowd of too many people, the dog literally removed him from the environment. I mean, the, this, the, the ability of the dogs to recognize what's going on and fulfill their purpose is just awe-inspiring. And, um, you know, and I, okay, so I talk about money. All right, big deal. What does that have to do with the suicide? Where's the connection here? Well, the connection's very simple. It was about a year ago from being a guest on someone else's podcast that someone contacted me. Uh, we'll use a name, we'll say Paul. And Paul was saying uh, he was a, a corporate trainer. He earned a lot of money. He wanted to develop his own business. It was a year later, he'd run out of money. He was behind on his credit cards. He was about to be evicted from the apartment that he was renting. And he said, the solution that I see, Rennie, is to just kill myself. It's just, okay, he's got some credit card debt and he's about to be evicted. Mm -hmm. And the issues over money are resulting in him considering suicide as opposed to other things. Well, the advantage is he did call me. He did mm -hmm. reach out to me. He did ask for help. And from that phone call, I made some suggestions. I suggested he move in with a relative so he'd at least have a place to live. Forget about the credit card debt because there's nothing they can take away from you. I mean, other things that we talked about. And the point is, a year later, we had another conversation and he is rebuilding his life. You know, this is an important thing because I'm going to be blunt. It's not about the money. It's about the meaning you assign to how yes. you have um, acquired or lost or whatever language you're using around money. It's what you name the thing that the thing becomes. And we have a lot of money shame in our <laughs> culture. And oh. Yes. And you know, you're talking about coming from an evangelical family and a bunch of preachers. And one of the things that I've noticed in the scripture are several things that add to the shame about creating wealth. The way that they are interpreted by some preachers and some people add to the shame. Exactly. And the worst part about it are the misquotes. It's and, and the lack of context. There's a um, something about the eye of a needle. Yes, I'll, I'll, eye of a needle I'll, I'll give it to you. A, a camel can pass through the eye of a needle easier than a rich man can get into heaven. The eye of a needle is a gate into Jerusalem. And the camels had to be unpacked and crawl through on their knees and then repacked on the other side of the gate. That's the eye of the needle. But because there's no context in the Bible, if you don't know that this is a tiny gate into Jerusalem, you wouldn't know. And you might think, oh, wait a minute, a sewing needle, but it's yes. not. Mm -hmm. It's literally a gate into Jerusalem. And it was difficult for a camel to do it, but a camel could do it. So it's difficult for a wealthy man to get into heaven, I think, because of what you said earlier, because it magnifies our traits. And so some wealthy people have traits that if they're magnified, they might not make it easy for them to achieve something um, like 
peace and harmony in this life, much less in any potential future life. So keeping it real and keeping it down to earth, let's keep it to what makes us so easily willing to demonize money and wealth? Um, it, it comes from so many different sources. It comes from books like uh, Charles Dickens. Uh, with Christmas Carol. His, yeah, Christmas Carol. It comes from uh, fairy tales like uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, where it's okay for Jack to go up into the sky and steal the giant's gold and steal the giant's golden goose. I mean, after all, the giant was evil. He ate people. And so it's okay for Jack to not only steal from the rich giant, but at, when the giant chases him down, the beanstalk, Jack cuts down the beanstalk and this kills the giant. Well, what's the moral of the story? That it's okay to kill the rich if you're poor. And you're right. There's this whole disconnect around these fairy tales that were written at a time like the time of Robin Hood, where there was this huge schism. And we don't have the fairy tale going on anymore. So let's get some help here. What if there's another way? What if there is a way for anyone, which I love the name of your background there, wealth on any income. So anyone can build wealth according to the world of Kenny. Rennie. Here we go. Rennie. I'll get I got you, Jackie. <laughs> All right. According to the world of Rennie, let's go there. Yes. Take us into this powerful teachings of where, where do you shift the belief about wealth? When did that happen for you? First, I have to, oh, I'm going to have to clear my throat. We first have to acknowledge the myths that people buy into that keep them broke. And the first myth is probably uh, the most damaging and the most difficult, and it has to do with credit card debt. And people are told by their CPA or maybe other financial gurus that they need to pay off their credit card debt before they begin to save and invest. What that means is you need to treat others like banks or credit institutions before you take care of yourself. And the reality is it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is I've seen so many people pay off their credit card debt. They don't know the skills to handle money effectively. Something goes wrong. The car breaks down, a water heater bursts. They don't have any savings. They don't have any money in reserve and it goes back on the credit card. So the credit card get, debt gets paid down and comes back and gets paid down and comes <laughs> back. And then they find themselves at some advanced age when they'd like to stop working and they have no assets that are going to generate an income so they can choose to work instead of having to work. Mm -hmm. And one of the illustrations that I, I use around this, Jackie, let, let's, let's have me interview you for a moment. Oh, cool. Okay, I like being interviewed. Great. Let's say you had no debt, you had no credit card debt, you had no mortgages, you had no car payment loans, you had no debt. I'm not saying you have anything else. I'm just saying okay. you have no debt. Would no you debt. be able to stop working and generating an income? Not right now, because while I, I don't have debt, I have plans. 
That's correct. You may still want to buy food. You still may want to pay utilities. <laughs> and I wasn't even thinking about the basics. I was thinking of, okay, so yes, you're right. That's what I'm getting at. People think that if they have no debt, that creates financial freedom, and it does not. The only thing that creates financial freedom, or uh, what I call complete financial choice, where you can choose to work or choose not to work. Oh, I like that. Having assets that generate an income when you no longer want to work to generate mm -hmm. that income. Got so it. Being debt financial does choice. not create financial freedom. And that's the biggest myth of all. And so people focus on paying down their debt, paying off their home, paying off their credit cards. And then they get to a point where they've got no assets so that they still have to work. And, and like you said, you didn't even think about the basics like food and utilities. No, I was thinking about my plans. So yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I was thinking about my next trip and you know, all right. So what's the cure for that? I mean, if we bust the myth that says um, you have to be debt free before you can start building towards financial freedom or complete financial choice. I do like that. Thank you. Um, I trademarked it. <laughs> ah, there we go. You know, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me any, Renny. <laughs> let's, let's go there. What's, if we bust that myth, what's the next myth? Um, oh, okay. Well, I thought we were going to go to a new cure for that myth. Oh, well, we can cure it. Okay. okay. Go for it. Let's do that. There's a concept that's 5,000 years old. It goes back to the city of Babylon. It was written about in a book over a hundred years ago, and it's called the richest man in Babylon. And the simplest concept that people I think can understand easily. Um, when you've flown on an airplane in this and the flight attendant is explaining what happens if the plane loses oxygen and the oxygen masks drop down. And if you're a parent traveling with a child, what are the instructions on who gets the oxygen mask first? Put your own mask on first. Yes, and why is that? So that you can help others. Exactly. So if you've not taken care of yourself first, you can't help others. And that's what the concept pay yourself first is all about. As soon as you earn money, you take a portion of it, 10% is what's suggested, and you set it aside. And it doesn't matter if you have debt. It doesn't matter what you owe. If you're not paying yourself first, the situation will never change. Got you it. must treat yourself like you matter. And that's what it's about. Cool. And at age 50, that's what I did. And the reason I call it wealth on any income is at that time I was earning $5,000 a month. That's not a huge amount of money. I set aside $500 a month. And, and in 18 years, all I'd saved up was $18,000. But that was $18,000, which was more than I'd ever had before. And I use that with two other people, which is another key item that wealth creation is a team sport, not a solo sport. Oh, wealth creation is a team sport. Cool. I like that. Just like suicide prevention. It's a team. The mind sport. is a dangerous place to go into alone. Yes. Very dangerous place to go into alone. Yes. Yeah. So with two other people, we made a, down payment on a small three unit building. Mm -hmm. But in six years, that building increased in value by a half a million dollars. 
And here's another key for the wealthy. And we're talking about not paying off debt first. I kept the credit card debt I had. I made the minimum payments and I borrowed more money to make down payments on more apartment buildings with my wife and this realtor. That's the three of us. And within eight years, we owned and managed 50, five zero apartment units. And that's how I became a multimillionaire. So I carried the debt. I even borrowed money to make more down payments. And the rental income covered my credit cards. It covered the mortgage payments. It covered extra money we borrowed to make more down payments. And what I'm getting at is it was a team approach. Mm -hmm. And wealthy people understand you can use debt to create wealth as opposed to paying it off. So I think we've taken care of that first myth. There we go. All right. So the myth, that myth is done. What's it, next? It's done. Um, in a way, I've covered this other myth is that the more money you make, the more wealth you can create or the richer you'll become. If you handle, well, think of it this way. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to break this one down for me. Okay. okay. So let's say you're an alcoholic. All right. Will more liquor cure your alcoholism? Mm, well, I don't, unless, unless you consider dying a cure for alcoholism, I would say no. Okay, good. That's an excellent approach. It won't. And more money does not solve a problem of mismanagement. If oh. someone isn't handling money effectively or powerfully to begin with, the more they make, the more they'll spend. I lived this for 20 years. I thought all I needed to do was make more money and it would solve my problems of spending more than I earned. And the more I made, the more I spent beyond what I was earning. Got it. Because it wasn't a matter of money. It was a matter of management. Exactly. And the funniest place I found for the cure was a place called Debtors Anonymous. <laughs> okay using the 12-step programs created for alcoholics and applying them to people who couldn't handle money. Ah, well, there we go. Okay, wherever you find a good tool is where you find a good tool. And you were talking about shame. Mm. Take into consideration, I went into Debtors Anonymous as a certified financial planner. Ooh. Ouch. Yeah. So here I am with all this financial education and not having the foundations of handling money powerfully, not even being able to do a personal budget. You know where I learned how to do a personal budget? No, where? Debtors Anonymous. Okay. You mean in all of the education to be a certified financial planner, they don't teach you how to do a budget? That's correct. And not only do they not teach it in my coursework, they don't teach it to CPAs either. Oh, theory. So you're not getting it in school, whether it's high school or college. Yeah. Teachers can't teach what they don't know. If parents don't have this information, they can't teach it to their kids. Even worse, I've run across parents who were CPAs who did figure it out for themselves and then didn't teach it to their children. We do sometimes assume that our kids are going to get things by osmosis. And That's we don't right. And they don't. We don't. None of us do. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. It, it's like throwing someone in a pool of water and, and saying, swim. <laughs> it, 
Yeah. It just doesn't work. You know, it's like a CPA telling a client who can't handle money, well, you need to budget. Well, yeah, where's the instruction? Yeah. Um, it's no better than yelling at a kid in a pool who can't swim saying swim. Yeah, absolutely true. So All right. that's a real good question. And we're going to talk about that because you have something for everyone that might just help them with that. Um, so we'll get to that. I, I, I love what you are so generous in giving, Rennie. So what's the third myth? Okay, the third one would be that wasting small amounts of money doesn't make a difference. You know, people go to Starbucks and buy a, a muffin or a latte or whatever and, you know, spend 10 bucks and think nothing of it. Uh-huh. $10 a day is $300 a month. a month is $3,600 a year. That $300 a month or $3,600 a year invested, and it can earn 12% if someone actually looks around and sees what opportunities there are, Mm -hmm. can produce a $1 million portfolio. And a million dollars at 12% generates $120,000 a year of income. So someone, let's say, is earning $3,000 a month, mm-hmm. sets aside $300 a month and invests it, can end up with an income of $120,000 a year. You know, it sounds so simple. And yet there's this challenge with people saying, but I don't want to deprive myself. But that's why I talk about $10 a day. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone's walking down the street and they've got a $10 bill in their pocket and a handkerchief and they're about to sneeze and they pull out the handkerchief and out comes a $10 bill and it falls on the sidewalk and they keep on walking, it's not going to make any difference in their life. But that $10 a day invested could make a difference in their life. Got it. Big deal. Big deal. All right. So small amounts of money matter. They do. And that's one of the things that I learned in Debtors Anonymous was to track every single penny I spent. If I put 25 cents in a parking meter, I wrote it down. If I spent $3 on some fast food, I wrote it down. That created the consciousness that allowed me to change behavior. Awareness is key to changing anything. So I like that. And that's such a simple thing. It doesn't require a complicated money management computerized system. (laughs) No. A notebook. Piece of paper and a pen. That's all it takes. Cool. Um, That's funny. A fourth myth myth is that you need a good credit score to create wealth. Like I said, at age 50, I'd had two divorces and a business failure. My credit score was not any good at all. Well, how did I qualify for the loan with the other two people to buy this triplex? I didn't. They qualified for the loan. I got added to it, but there was no way I was going to be able to qualify for it by myself. They added me to the loan because my credit score was irrelevant. Got it. So you don't, you can use other people's credit score to create wealth. I love the way these build on each other. It is definitely a team sport. All right, keep keep us rolling here. You're doing great. Last one is you need money to make money. 
And I've heard that my whole life. Okay. So we'll bust up that myth. You don't need your money to make money. Ah, I like yes, it does take some money. money. So in this situation, if I go back to the, the example of the triplex we purchased, okay, I'd had $18,000. That was money. But mm -hmm. let's say I had no money. Mm -hmm. I would have been able to create a different arrangement where let's say they put up, my wife and this realtor put up the money to buy it. Mm -hmm. And I would do the management. I'd taken a class at UCLA about 14 years earlier on how to manage multi-unit properties. And now I'm getting to put it to use. So 14 years earlier, I learned how to do it. And now I could actually put it to use. So if I had no money, I'd say, tell you what, I will take over the complete management of the property. I will handle the tradespeople. I will handle getting the renters. I will handle the advertising. I will take care of the renters when they're in the property. If anything goes wrong, I'll go and fix it. And for that, just, you know, can I have 25% of the property? Mm -hmm. you no, know, 25% of the profits. Uh, can I get a management fee? If I had no money at all, I could have still worked out another arrangement. And that's exactly what many people do when it comes to fixing and flipping houses. They take some seminar, they've learned what needs to be done, they have no money, and they find someone who has the money and say, you know what, you put up the down payment, you put up the money to buy this property, I'll put up all the labor and the work and the time, and we'll split the profits 50-50 when we sell the house. You know, this is where team sports and this whole concept that you started with of money magnifies. Because picking the people on your team becomes really critical here. Oh, absolutely correct. Yeah. And, yeah. and the main criteria is what? Because my head was flipping between, okay, what's more important here, skill set or integrity? Uh, integrity. The skill set can be learned. The integrity, you either have it or you don't. Yeah, so I agree. There has to be a commonality of values. And as long as that's in existence, then the rough patches can be worked over. Um, the part, the realtor partner we had, we had for 10 years. And then it, it, it was became very difficult to work with him because it, it turned out that he had a, um, a diagnosed uh, personality disorder. And, you know, there were times he'd created arguments with tenants for no reason at all. There were issues when we were buying a property that created problem with the selling broker or the, the seller because of the personality issues. And that became very frustrating for my wife and I. And so, but there was still integrity. He was still a good person. Mm -hmm. And so we went to a neutral third party who helped us separate the assets. He took half, we took half, and we completed the relationship. But the baseline was there was integrity among all the people. Yeah. So there we go. Um, that's really an important point. And I just want to remind everyone that it's a team sport from beginning to end. Yes. Don't start out trying to make the decisions alone. Ask questions. Throw questions into the chat here about money and money teams. And, you know, I 
I like playing the internal game with limiting beliefs around money. And, and I call it the money ball game. You know, you play the external game with money and you're a great team player, which is why you have this wonderful philanthropic business of helping people create wealth so that they can create a difference in the world and whatever they choose to invest. The in. more millionaires that we have on the planet, like you and like me and like other coaches, authors, heart-centered entrepreneurs, the impact on the world will be enormous. And so one go. of the things that I want to follow up on what you said <clears throat> had to do with questions. Mm -hmm. Because one of the most important things when it comes to creating wealth is attitude. And we've kind of touched on that with where the messages that we got about money and that's formed our attitudes or formed our beliefs. Well, wealthy people have different attitudes than ordinary people when it comes to money. And one of the most important, and you, you brought it up, probably without realizing it, was asking questions. As an example, let's say you and I were talking about the concept, pay yourself first. Now, have you heard that before? Of course. Yes. Many people have heard it. Maybe even most people have heard, pay yourself first. And they don't know what it means. They either don't know what it means, or even if they know what it means, they'll make a statement instead of asking a question. They'll make a statement like, well, I've heard that before, or I know that, or that's not new to me, or maybe even I've tried that. Well, guess what? Statements don't create transformation, but questions can, and wealthy people, when they hear familiar information, like pay yourself first, they ask questions like, hmm, how does that apply to me? Ah. Or where would I put the money? Or who can help me institute that? Or what would be the first thing I need to do? Oh, great questions. How does that apply to me and who? Yeah, you've got the questions of what, when, where, and who. You don't ask, they don't ask why. Well, why doesn't this work out for me? <laughs> I know the answer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, yeah. because you're asking that question. Yeah. Okay. You give the question to your brain, your brain goes and gets the answer for it. If, if you said, um, you know, of course, I think why is a misused question. Yes, it, it is. It's a really, really good question if you're building a car and you want to know why the door fell off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, know, you can ask that question nine times. That's how Toyota does their problem solving. But otherwise, if you're trying to assign motivation and, and those kinds of reasonings, I think that there's only one answer to the question of why. Why did you do that? Mm -hmm. Because it seemed like the best idea at the time. Yeah. Or, I, I mean, I, I see it where someone is uh, an entrepreneur and they'll ask a question like, why do I have clients who don't respect me? Or why are my clients jerks? Mm -hmm. And, and asking... okay, so they can make up any answer and it'll work. Let's say they say, well, I have clients who are jerks because I'm a jerk. How does that help them? 
It doesn't. Labels belong on pickle jars, not on people. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So a better question would be, how do I get clients that will respect me? Mm -hmm. How do I get the clients I want to work with? Yeah. Where will I find the kind of people that should be my clients? When will I begin the process? Who can support me with this? Who can support me with this is a big question and I love it. I love it a great deal. Cool. All right. I want to go into this just a little bit deeper with you because we've covered what five myths yes. and the solutions for them. And that's a lot of information. So the myths were pay yourself first um, or uh, pay off your no, debt no, first. The myth, the myth, the myth was is, pay off your debt first. Okay. Yes. And that's the wrong. The solution is pay yourself first. Correct. All right. And so the second myth was, I know the third one. <laughs> My notes that might have been um, the more money you earn, the more wealth you can create. Not if you can't handle it powerfully, it makes no difference. Got it. So the, the, the myth is that it's the revenue that determines wealth as opposed to the management, which is the solution. That's correct. Cool. All right. So then you had the one about um, small amounts of money don't matter. That's correct. And, and they do. The, the truth is small amounts add up to big amounts with a little consistency. Correct. Cool. All right. So what was the fourth one? You need a good credit score to create wealth. Got it. Okay. So we busted the credit score myth. You could have no credit score. That's correct. All right. And, and this is where the team player really comes into play, that it's a team sport. That's correct. Cool. And then the fifth one. The fifth one was it takes money to make money. Got it. But people think it takes their money to make money. Right. So you can use other people's money the same way you could use other people's credit scores. That's correct. Exactly. And anybody who's ever had somebody co-sign on a loan or co-signed on a loan for someone else, that's exactly this principle in action of exactly. using other people's credit scores on the co-sign side. And I love using other people's money. When people say it's expensive to borrow money, I'm like, you know, I can usually get money you know, around 3% for 15 to 18 months. Um, and if you don't know how to do that, then you're going to love this gift because I suspect you've got a whole bunch of information in here for them. And so we're going to give it. Renning, the beauty of what you do is that you have such clarity that you walk people literally step by step through what they can do to have wealth on any income, to have the resources to be able to impact the world in a positive way. And it is the power of positivity, the power of positive impact that underscores everything that we're doing at the Teen Suicide Prevention Society and on this show. So I just, I really am delighted. I know there's something else that you wanted to talk about. And Katie, I think might have beat me to it. Nope. Ha ha ha. Here we go. There's the <laughs> gift. I beat Katie. All right. Not that we're competitive in my family. So <laughs> I have to tell me what it was I offered because I have so many different things I could have. Ah, there we go. You here we go. Roadmap to complete Perfect. financial choice. That little thing you trademark. Now I see it in here. Yeah. Um, so nine steps from financial struggle to a place where you can be philanthropic. And 
money is so much fun to share. Money is so much fun to give. When we set up the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, I've put sort of a, a stake in the ground and said, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to give 20% of my top line revenue from my business, the Success Journey Academy, to the society, the tea, to teaspoons is what we call it. And it was just, it was just a firm decision that whatever someone bought from me, 20% of that was going to go straight to funding the charity. And that's how we ended up doing the book so fast is because I just put the money in. You know, they say, but you can't bootstrap a charity. And I'm like, watch me. You know, <laughs> don't when somebody says I can't do something, you know, it is sort of like waving the red flag. Um, because the fastest way to get anything done is to just take the ending off of that word can't and start asking your questions, which is, you know, who can who could support me in this was a really powerful question. Thank you. And I, I love what you were talking about um, in terms of what other people have to tell you and the influence you have. And what I learned is it, it, it's kind of interesting. There are two groups of people that most entrepreneurs uh, have around them. Uh, well, sometimes they only have one and that's, the, that's a problem. But if they have the two groups, one of the groups is their family, it's their friends, it's the people they grew up with who may have what I would call limited thinking. They have limited beliefs. As an example, someone I know who is very wealthy in real estate, uh, when he told his dad he wanted to buy some multi-unit properties, his dad said, oh my gosh, that's a horrible idea. Don't invest in real estate. It's terrible. You'll lose all your money. You'll have tenants who'll take advantage of you. Da, da, da. I mean, he just went on and on how horrible it was to invest in real estate. And so what I'm getting at is you have two groups of people. I would say one group fits in your right hand and that's your family, it's your support structure, it's your siblings, it's people you grew up with and they may have limited thinking, okay? And then there's the people in your left hand who may be other entrepreneurs. They think about what can be done. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same limited thinking. And most entrepreneurs need to, recognize there are these two different camps and you don't explain your visions and your missions to the people in your right hand. You speak about it to the people in your left hand because they'll come up with the solutions and the ideas to move you forward. And this person I was talking about whose dad said, don't invest in real estate. By the time he had 1000 apartment buildings that he owned and controlled and he was fabulously wealthy is when his dad said, well, I guess the real estate is okay. <laughs> and it's because they don't know what they don't know. Exactly. I mean, you know, but the point is to recognize the people you grew up with can see you in one way mm -hmm. and the entrepreneurs and the relationships you create in business see you, some, see you in a different way and a more empowering way. Well, well that's very, very true. Um, I'm the youngest in my family. So my older sisters are not likely to see me in the same way that my clients see me or that the members of the masterminds that I'm in see me. Yeah. And 
while I don't necessarily believe that your wealth is the average of the five people you're around, I think that's true for some people, but not for all people. What is true is that you get to choose who you share your dreams with. You get to choose who you share your aspirations with, who you share the impact you want to make in the world with. And I highly recommend that you choose wisely. Yes. And, and when it comes to your income being the average of the five people you hang around with, the reason that makes sense is because if you're working on an assembly line for some motor company mm-hmm. and the five people you hang around with are your coworkers, it's more likely they will all have the same attitudes and beliefs about money. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if you begin hanging around with the people who own the automobile company or the executives of the company, they will have different attitudes and those attitudes rub off. So there we go. You, if you're receptive, other yes. people's attitudes rub off. So yes. that makes it even more important of who you hang around with and share your dreams with. So kudos to your friend who was able to listen to his dad's rant and take the action anyway. <laughs> not, not everybody can do that. So Yep, that's correct. Uh, there was someone else he saw that this was working for, and he said, I want that to work for me. Oh, I call that finding yourself a rabbit. I read this in a story somewhere. Mm. Find yourself a rabbit. Find somebody who's running faster than you are in the direction you want to go and just do what they do. Oh, yeah. Tony Robbins has a great quote. He just says, model what works. There we go. I like chasing rabbits. It's more fun. Yeah, I like that too. (laughs) So the the reality is no matter how you say it, wealth on any income, your slogan, these financial freedoms, complete financial choice, these are all available and you can start where you are. You don't have to wait. And that's one of the things that made me where I was like, Rennie, I got to have you on the show because you have a you don't have to wait kind of attitude. You can start wherever you are. Yeah, I started from broke at age 50. There we go. Yeah, we are going to absolutely have to wrap this up. And I'm really kind of sorry because I'm having such a good time with this. So we're going to drop the link for um, shelter to soldier because that's a dot org, right? Yes, it's yes, just it is dot org. To, yeah. Um, and, and we want everyone to be able to see what Rennie is doing in the world with, for his philanthropic work. And I invite everybody to just imagine for a moment, when you have complete financial choice, will you choose to make a difference? And if you are willing to choose to make a difference, you don't have to wait. You can start by sharing information about sheltertosoldier.org. You can start by joining the society, the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, which is also .org, or in this case, we made a .com. Actually, the .com is where you can join. And that doesn't cost any money. None of these things that we're suggesting require you to have cash in your pocket. They require you to be willing to look. Look at where you can make a difference in the world now. And for anyone who wants to have more access to these kinds of things, 
I'm assuming they can go to wealthonanyincome.com and learn more about what you're doing. Absolutely. And when I didn't have money, my children and I would go to homeless shelters to feed hungry people. We would bring, bring blankets or clothing and donate that to homeless people. So before we had money, we were being philanthropic in other ways. There we go. Multiple ways to make a difference. And money magnifies the ways that you can make a difference. You can make a bigger difference with it. That's It's a tool that magnifies. So we invite you to become wealthy. That's part of the mission. And so thank you, Rennie. I really, really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're very welcome. Let's see. Oh, everybody, hang on. The ride gets more interesting from here. <laughs>